0: Are Manchester United too sentimental to be successful? Will we win the league title in the next 10 years? Who should stay? Who should go? Who should sign? These are some of the questions we're answering in the Manchester United weekly podcast season review of the uh, 2018-19 season with your hosts Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We're talking in the aftermath of United's 2-0 defeat to relegated Cardiff City, which followed a draw with relegated Huddersfield Town. Um, The end to the season has been atrociously bad, uh, almost unprecedentedly so. Uh, we'll try not let that cloud our judgement too much about the big picture at Manchester United. Cause that's what's important. I think all the fans have realised that now. We've had the highs of Turin and Paris, and the lows of Cardiff, Everton, uh, West Ham, Brighton. So, so many lows. We'll start by talking about the the situation at United, talking the management team, the board, the owners, the transfers and towards the halfway point in the episode we'll move on to certain awards for the season if we can give any good ones Uh, best player best moment and then also worst moment uh, and best goal and so on and then the back end of series 4 episode 39 of the Manchester United weekly podcast looks at the women's team the club's academy sides and the prospects of those two teams going into the summer and next season at the very end, we'll give our very early predictions for next season for the men's team and who we think will break through from the academy. We'll see <laughs> what me and Jack say about where we'll finish next season. But uh, to begin with, Jack, um, we finished the season, uh, no cup finals to look forward to. Everything about the 2018-19 season, apart from a very few select matches, has been completely atrocious, not just on a, on a Manchester United level, but for... Uh, looking at our rivals as well in general the worst season since Alex Ferguson left
1: without doubt yeah it has to be the worst season since Ferguson left with I guess a good two months notwithstanding, from uh, January to March then pretty much everything has been completely atrocious from the worst start I think was the worst start in 28 years under Mourinho to ending the season drawing against probably the second worst team in Premier League history in Huddersfield second only to Derby County and then losing 2-0 to a Cardiff side who have looked truly hopeless for the vast majority of the season kind of just summed up everything that's, that's been the problem for the last month or two. Ever since that wonderful night in Paris, it's been a, a downhill spiral. Yeah. Um, and listen, it, there, there's some optimism perhaps to look forward to in terms of what we saw in those two months under Solskjaer. And maybe that is reason for us to be optimistic about what he might be able to produce next season. But right now there is a negativity around this club that is very, very reminiscent of what we saw under Mourinho. And without a doubt, 2018-19 is the worst yeah. season since Alex Ferguson retired and probably our worst season in a good 30, 40 years.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's just been completely exhausting. And the strange thing is I will go away from the season, I think I'll look back in five, ten years' time and think that we had some very, very good nights and days in this season despite oh, how 100%. terrible and how tiring it's been there's so yep. many good moments this season Turin even under Marino, I remember Turin was my first European away even though I didn't actually go to the game and I remember seeing Jose's at the wheel in the in the Italian rain for four hours straight um, and just having had one of the, the best nights of my life Paris didn't go to that but I think me and many millions of other United fans watching on TV just going absolutely mental Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea away, uh, Palace, Cardiff, Huddersfield away. That Southampton at home was actually one of my, my favourite games. We'll move on to all of those in, in the awards section. But there have been so, so many good moments. And yet you come away from this season just completely depressed because all of those moments paper over some absolutely ginormous cracks. Or some gorgeous... Well, and In
1: some ways, those great moments make it even harder to, to swallow how bad the, the season has ended up because you see those moments happening and you actually think there was some potential to make this a very, very good season. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, all right, maybe not winning the league or fighting seriously to win the Champions League, but there were some moments this year that really, really stood out to you as a United fan and really had the potential to make this a season that we would have remembered for the right reasons. If, if we'd have come through this season, let's say, getting knocked out by Barca in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, getting top four and winning a domestic trophy with all the great moments that we had as well thrown in, that would have been a pretty memorable season for a lot of United fans. It's certainly for United fans since Alex Ferguson retired, and yet yeah. all the terrible moments that came along with them just made it even harder to accept how badly the season has ended up finishing.
0: Well, if you look at it, firstly, United should have got top four, and um, g- given where we yeah, were under doubt. Mourinho, that that's amazing. And if United had finished in the top four, well, we wouldn't have had this back end to the season. So the season wouldn't have seemed as terrible. Um, but since we, we got that incredible victory at PSG we were utterly woeful and I mean we lost 4-0 to Everton away from home. Um, just some absolutely atrocious games and it, it wasn't just the start of the season with Mourinho where there were there were these these horrendous lows but the back end of the season on the Solskjaer has been one of the worst times I can remember at United um, since Ferguson left and and probably... One of the worst periods up there with, with the very worst of Mourinho and, and Van Hal. United should have got top four. They should have beaten Huddersfield and Cardiff. And even after the losses against Everton, even after throwing away a, a victory against Chelsea and instead drawing 1-1 thanks to an error from David De Gea, even after that, United still had the chance to beat Huddersfield and beat Cardiff and maybe get top four and, and they failed. And then you look at the FA Cup. United should have beaten Wolves. Yes, Wolves are, are, are the are the best of the rest of the league, but United still still should have beaten Wolves and made it into into the semi-finals of the FA Cup and, and probably the final and beaten Watford in the semi-final and gone to the final of the FA Cup. United shouldn't have beaten Barca; they're a very good side. Uh, Liverpool overcame them, but but we're not Liverpool at the moment. So United could have ended the season with an FA Cup final like last season in the top four, and in a, in, a, in a weird way that would have been worse than last season statistically, but we would have come away with a good feeling. As it is at back into the season is one of the worst periods of, of, of United's last four decades.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying. It's it's this feeling of what if, because you saw all these good moments and how much potential there is in this squad to actually become a, a, a pretty competitive side. And on their day, we really can go toe-to-toe with pretty much anyone in European football. The problem is, as has been the problem for many years now, we can't perform at our best anywhere near consistently Every single week, you never quite know what team is going to turn up until the last month or two of the season, when you know exactly what kind of team is going to turn up. But the team that's going to turn up is probably going to get rolled over by a bottom half side yet again. And that was—it was so frustrating to watch. You're right that despite all the lows under Van Hal, Mourinho, Moyes, you know, so many just truly, truly awful moments. In some ways, what we've seen in the last couple of months under Solsha has been the worst period that I can remember in the last seven seven or eight years because you felt like everything was starting to change. You know, you felt like there was a sense that the club was start finally starting to realise what needed to happen. You know, you go back to the great form under Solskjaer. So obviously we have a club legend in charge. The form is great. Looks like we might be back in the top four race. We have Mike Phelan and Kieran McKenna in the dugout. The youth players are getting a chance. Then we found out we were probably going to get a director of football or a technical director, whatever you want to call it. And at that point, you're thinking well, hang on a minute, this, this looks like things might be turning around. The club is finally starting to, to get its head out of its ass and actually start trying to change some of the things that have gone wrong. And yet, not only on the pitch in terms of the results, but also in, in, in the boardroom in terms of the fiasco of trying to appoint a, a technical director, it just seems like everything has spiralled out of control again. And we've we've just kind of gone back to this this mediocrity that we've had for the last half a decade.
0: Well At the very start of that point, you mentioned inconsistency with uh, the fact that united can 't manage to 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 perform over an entire season let alone uh, over over three months or something um, and and it dawns on me that everything at united the problem from from the players to the managerial staff to the board to woodward to transfers everything comes down to inconsistency. So you look at the managers over the last few years, you've got Olegan Gunnar Solskjaer, Jose Mourinho, Louis van Gaal David Moyes. You could, you'd struggle to get four managers to fit. You've got a manager of each different profile. You've got Mourinho. I don't need to go over the point again. Everyone knows that we've appointed managers who just do not match together um, since, Ferguson, since Ferguson retired. You then look at the transfers. You've got a mixture of signings like Diogo Adalo, a 19-year-old, for just under £20 million from Porto. You've got, uh, even going back to the very end of the fair, you've got Wilfred Zaha, another young player. And then you've also got Angel Di Maria for, for 59 million. You've got Pogba for 89, Lukaku for 75. You've got overspending on, on, a, on a 29-year-old in the Manu Matic, 40 million. There's inconsistency there. You go to the managers. Um, there's, there's inconsistency everywhere. And then you, even if you, if, if you just boil down to the Solskjaer appointment, you've got this brilliant mood at Manchester United. The board have appointed Solskjaer just before Christmas, just after that, that 3-1 loss against Liverpool. And the board say, we're not going to um, make an announcement on who the next manager will be until the end of the season. Okay, Everyone accepted that. That, was, that seemed very sensible. One of the first sensible things United had done for, for five years. And then suddenly we're riding on this wave of, of happiness and, and enjoyment with our football and, and success. And we turn around again. And there's the inconsistency rearing its ugly head once more and we say, you know what? We'll, we'll appoint Odegaard Solskjaer now. And yes, at the time, we kind of all wanted Solskjaer to be manager, and, and I still do want Solskjaer to be manager. I think, but doing it at that time was wrong. And and the point is, the point of the board is to not be to not be the fans. United fans wanted Solskjaer to become the manager. They wanted the board to appoint him just then. But the reason that you have high-level executives at a football club is to make the decisions that the fans would get wrong. And so that inconsistency has plagued United for the last six years at every single level.
1: You need the board to be able to have some objectivity in all of this and be able to take a step back. And like you said, not make the the sort of reactionary mistakes that fans would make. And yet our board seems far more interested in, in doing business deals and then eventually when they do t- turn around and try and listen to the fans which they haven't been doing for the last five or six years they go too far the other way and start acting just like fans themselves and appointing Solskjaer at a time when it wasn't necessary and when really we hadn't actually seen what he was made of you know you go back to the the, the day the appointment was made we're coming off the back of, of back-to-back defeats Solskjaer had never really been tested and how he managed to ba- get this squad to bounce back from some hardship because he hadn't faced any hardship before granted they hadn't faced any hardship because he'd done so well in the first couple of months but there was, there was no rush at all and there was no need to make that appointment so early. I mean, I, I don't want to keep harping on about that point because we've made it so much but you are right that the inconsistency pervades the entire football club at the moment, not just the players on the pitch. In, inconsistency in the type of managers appointed from people that have no philosophy at all to just doing whatever it takes to get a result to sort of the most philosophical managers you could ever find to, to massive big names, you know, Honors littered everywhere throughout their career to managers who are sort of coming from from smaller clubs, more up and coming, younger managers. Now to a, a club legend with very little high level managerial experience. There just is no. I think the other the other the, the other word that I would use other than inconsistency is, is just short termism. The whole club is riddled with the case of short termism. Every single decision we make seems to be what will be best for this club in six months? Or what will be best for this club's bank accounts in six months? Which is what it often boils down to. And we've seen that Solskjaer seems to be trying to change that culture a little bit. And I hope what we're hearing in the press and what he's saying isn't just him sort of playing to the media and he is actually able to dictate some of what goes on in the boardroom. Because we do need to start thinking longer term. We do have to accept that this isn't going to be a, a one-year rebuild. You know, we are in full, full rebuilding mode, as we have been for the last six years, probably. And well, the process is going to be two or three years at least, not six months. Like the the board seem to think every single year that signing 29, 30 year olds who realistically are, are past the best in their careers for 50, 60 million pounds. that that isn't going to solve the issues that we have because by the time it comes to a point where the rest of the squad might be ready to challenge for the title those players that we forked out so many millions for aren't going to be able to play in the squad anymore because they just aren't good enough
0: yeah right Um, we're going to talk more about transfers more about the kind of players uh, the kind of profile of the players we should be signing Um, but I I agree with everything you say and there's points running about in my head that I want to say but we'll save them for later because we'll start talking about um, Solskjaer in particular um, before we move on to the board uh, we both agree the, the timing of the Solskjaer appointment was wrong. Uh, would it have affected the season that much? Yeah, I think so, because uh, the the motivation levels of the players um, probably dropped after that, and perhaps the manager, but probably less so. And especially when you look at the, the Pochettino situation now, where it looks like he may leave Tottenham, even if they don't beat Liverpool in the Champions League final. It, it, it would almost be, be perfect for him to, to come into Manchester United and take on that challenge. But Solskjaer in particular... He uh, at the start and even after he's he's shown some some moments of, of tactical brilliance, but then others of, of huge weaknesses in games. the The game changing decisions just have have not been there at all. You saw against against Cardiff, Anthony Martial came on for came on for Phil Jones at half-time an attacking substitution, brilliant. McTominay moved into centre back, but then you watched the the, the game pan out over the next half and Mason Greenwood United's previously United's most exciting player in the first half was completely isolated in attack because he had been United's best player suddenly he shifted right to make space for Martial and United looked even worse um, and we've seen that a few times so that there's, definitely, there's definitely some significant worries in, as Solskjaer as an actual manager not talking about the big picture anymore but just talking about Solskjaer as a, as a manager by himself regardless of, of the board and the, and the owners
1: you want my honest answer on what I what I think of Solskjaer at the moment as a manager? I haven't got a clue. I honestly haven't got a clue. Because, I mean, <laughs> look at the, look at what we've had in, in the, how long has it been? Six months since December? I honestly could not tell you whether Solskjaer is cut out for this job or not. Because in the first two months, he seemed like the best manager we've had since, Sir Alex, since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. And yet in the last two months, he looks like he, he wouldn't even be getting a job for a League One side. And so I, I honestly don't know how how I feel about Solskjaer at this point. I don't know if I have faith in him to not only make the right signings, but even if we do make the right signings, then I don't know whether I have faith in him to actually implement what he's trying to implement and make it work on the pitch. I honestly don't know. But the the one thing I would I would say to you, Harry, which is kind of what I've how I've been thinking about it a little bit recently, if we hadn't have made the the appointment when we did, and now we still didn't know whether he was gonna be permanent manager. Would you be appointing him now based on what we've seen from December until the end of the season?
0: Based on what you've seen now, I have say, no chance. Because had he been appointed permanent manager at the very start in December and put this brilliant spell and then the bad spell, regardless of the good spell, most other clubs with any other manager would and probably should sack them. Because yeah, I agree. I don't want to use Real Madrid as an example because they're not Manchester United. They do things differently. But but pretty much any Premier League club, regardless of their level, whether they're elite in the top six or mid-table or in a relegation battle, would sack their manager after winning two out of 12 games. Um, Yes, it's short term, but there's no way you would appoint him now. And very quickly, Solskjaer's gone from, we need to challenge for the Premier League to we need to catch the top four. Now, there's a separate point to that, which is. He's, also,
1: don't forget, we need to make sure we don't drop out of the top six.
0: Yeah, and he, he started talking about Wolves and Everton being behind us. Now, that is very David Moisey. Um, yeah. And the, the, the separate point to that is that every manager who's come in has first spoken about winning the Premier League and has then gone on to speak about we need to stay in the top four, then the top six. And that speaks volumes for what they think about the quality of the playing squad. But in general... Very quickly, Solskjaer has gone from the, the hero to having, having very significant problems. And there is a part of me that thinks if Pochettino is available, the board should fuck it all off. And it would make me sad and it would make them look like fools temporarily. But maybe in the long run, it would work out. Now, my hope is that Solskjaer stays, manages to change the culture at Manchester United and win the league someday. I think that's overly optimistic. I don't think we'll see Solskjaer lifting a Premier League title with Manchester United or, or with any other club at any point. But th- there is that lingering part of me that thinks Solskjaer isn't the best manager available for Manchester United. Even even the best manager available, let alone uh, the ones who aren't available. And that is very worrying after si- after only six months.
1: I think that's my problem with it as well. It's I want Solskjaer to, to succeed more than I want any player or any other manager that we've had to succeed. Because that would be, it would just be brilliant if Solskjaer was the one to change the culture at United, complete this turnaround and, you know, end up lifting the Premier League. I just don't see it happening at, at the moment. I really don't. And I'm with you that as much as I I, was, I want Solskjaer to succeed and I I still am very conflicted about whether he's the right manager or not, I honestly don't know. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that he's definitely the, the the wrong choice, but I'm with you that if we if we're to sit here and Pochettino is available and and weren't to try and go for him, then I think we we might end up regretting that. Like you said, the, the all right, it might make the board look look bad in the short term, but come four or five years down the line, if we're back being the, the dominant team that we once were, and you've seen the wonders that he's worked with a squad uh, with, uh, that realistically is pretty poor at Spurs. And especially with literally zero transfer uh, money injection. you know, Imagine what he could do with a squad that I think is better than Spurs at the moment as a whole. Spurs probably have the best player in in those two squads in Harry Kane. But I think ours is is more well-rounded and and definitely has better depth. And with a transfer budget of however, however many hundreds of millions every year. Imagine what he could do with that. And it does... It does leave me with a sense of, of regret if we weren't to try and go out and get the best manager available. And yet, Having said I, that...
0: I think you're going to say the same, the same thing as me, is that, and yet, I would be so sad if Solskjaer was now sacked by Manchester United and there would be a part of me. And, and the worst bit is, it's that kind of decision that no fan would be able to take and that the board have to take. And... The, the majority of me thinks, no, they, they shouldn't sack Solskjaer. He's been given six months. He's playing with a with a terrible squad. The attitude of, of the squad in in the dressing room is, is shocking. There are way bigger problems. And Solskjaer isn't to blame for United's problems. But that I think the point we both think is that if he's not the best man for the job, even if he's got a three-year contract, you've got to get the best person. And my hope for, for Solskjaer is that he wins the league some as I said my optimistic but more realistic hope is that he, he will leave United in two or three years having failed to win a title or perhaps even a trophy and having failed to really achieve much of note except starting a change of, of culture at the football club and I think we might look back in ten years time and think that was the start of the change even though it didn't really seem like it but my actual expectation is he'll probably be sacked in, in two and a half years having won a League Cup or an FA Cup but failed to make top four at all in, in his time as manager. And that's, I think, I think most United fans would probably think something along those lines.
1: You literally took the words right out right out of my mouth in terms of probably leaving in a few years and the best we can hope for is that he is the one that started this culture change that we're all looking for. And in terms of being sad if he went, this is exactly what we were talking about when he was appointed because we've now backed ourselves into a corner where so all, all the fans are behind Solskjaer or at least want him to succeed, whether they're behind him to stay on as manager is, is a different different point, but want him to succeed so much. And now, as we said back then, the board have backed themselves into a corner because if you think about this rationally as, as a someone who doesn't support United, of course you would sack Solskjaer after a run of, what was it, two wins in 12 games? And realistically, completely bottling a very, very good chance of making top four, which would have been massive going into the summer transfer window. Of course you would, you would say, get rid of Solskjaer at that point and don't appoint him and bring in well, Pochettino or whoever else it might be. The problem is... another
0: point related to that is that when Solskjaer was announced as a permanent Manchester United manager, everyone was happy. City fans were happy, Liverpool fans were happy, United fans were happy. I was happy and I, I, I still love the fact that we've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as Manchester United manager but every other team in the league can see that he's probably not going to make us a threat to them in the next two or three, four years. And that that speaks volumes. And not only that, but no other team has ever gone for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the level of Manchester United. And obviously it's different because he's our club legend and, and other people wouldn't go for him, but it does speak volumes.
1: And that's why he was a perfect choice as an interim coach, because he understood the club. He was able to reconnect the fans with the club and the fans with the players. But it's also why most people didn't expect him to become the permanent manager because he doesn't have that pedigree, he doesn't have that experience and realistically, he, it never looked like he was ready and that pains me to say it because at the time, you know, we were all so, so excited by how well he was doing but there was just I just I can't I don't I don't really want to keep talking about it because it I feel like a broken record at this point we've said it so many times it, it's just a ludicrous decision to appoint him that early there was absolutely no need and this is the exact situation that we said could end up arising and it has and now the board are backed into a corner where they either have to accept they made a terrible decision and undo that which they probably won't on a case of of their egos or they have to stick it out with Solskjaer and potentially and potentially set us back another two or three years in trying to create this turnaround that we have failed to, to create for the last eight years.
0: They're, they're not going to sack Solskjaer. I think we can say no, that with a huge certainty. And I mean, this is the season review, so it's worth remembering that I don't think as a United fan, I've enjoyed a set of months that much as those two or three under Solskjaer when he was first yeah, appointed. I,
1: yeah, I agree
0: forget the, the league title I mean it's different we weren't we weren't alive and present or uh, or realising what was happening during the treble uh, the 2008 Champions League Premier League double I remember but it, it's not the same it's when you hit 14, 15 you start actually appreciating it I no, no time has ever beaten that as a United fan and I remember sitting in the press box at Old Trafford watching United come from behind to beat Southampton 3-2 and just the, the sheer joy, and the, you felt like this was this was proper Manchester United, and the atmosphere at Old Trafford, and the same thing for I was at the Liverpool game at home against Old Trafford, and the atmosphere then is the best I've ever heard it in relatively to, to the game that was going. Well, on. I think
1: I think part of it I think part of it is immense. the unexpectedness of it. You know, like I, I like I, I wasn't I mean I was alive, but I don't have any remem- remembrance about ninety nine, but I do remember a lot about oh eight and i i just i remember being you know screaming and, and sprinting around my my living room as, as we beat chelsea in the champions league final and although although you never expect to win the champions league that team was so good and we had so many great players the best manager in the world it wasn't expected that we were going to win the champions league but it was it wasn't it didn't come out of nowhere you know we we knew we were a very good side partly i think why the the period under Solskjaer was so great was because it was unexpected. It came out of, of a period where this team looked absolutely terrible. And that that's not an overstatement at all. We looked genuinely, genuinely awful under Mourinho. And no one could ever see us going on, on a fifteen game win streak. Even even if we are we were playing against the bottom fifteen in the Premier League every week. No no one could, could foresee that. And that I think is why there was such a massive amount of optimism. It was one the unexpectedness of it. And two, because we've been starved of that kind of quality and that kind of run of results for so long. And that's just all... We became so accustomed to it under Ferguson that and I, I think we, we, we then appreciated seeing a 14-15 game win streak so, so much that it ended up just being such a brilliant period as a United fan. And, it was
0: impossible not to get caught up in it.
1: No, of course.
0: And, it, and, it, it, and the people who say, oh, well, United fans got way too excited about it, well, that's the point of, of, of football. That's why, that's why we love the sport, is because you, you do just get caught up in it. And no matter how objective or, or um, how much you try to look at the big picture, when your team wins so many games on the bounce, when your team comes from behind, when all the players are playing good football, although that wasn't always the case, but when, when your team's winning, it's impossible to to really objectively think about the big picture. Um we should move on. I was going to talk about Marino, but I feel like we've been um we've had enough depressing conversation and um, we're going to talk about the board so that's going to also going to be equally depressing. Um but we should move on onto the board who are a, a complete mess at every conceivable level when it comes to the first team and, and the, the, I think the the point I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks is that Manchester United have managed to rejuvenate their academy into a fantastic producer of talent. They've managed to create a women's team incredibly smoothly, immediately go into, into the second division of the Women's Super League, win it by, I think, nine points, um, absolutely storm it. The the manager, Casey Stoney, has, has done a fantastic job. The squad was brought together well. Everything has been professional. There's been no real hiccups with the, the introduction of the women's team again for Manchester United. And so you sit there thinking, if United really wanted to create a proper men's team that could challenge for titles, you think there's every chance that they they would be able to to do that based on the success with the women's team and and, and the rejuvenation of the academy under Nicky Butt. And yet, you look at you look at United's first team and it's it's a shambles. And there's there's two possible reasons for that. One is that the Manchester United board don't really care, um, and it's it's probably partly that. And the other is that. The reason that the women's team was successful is because it was kind of a separate entity. It's not managed by Edward Woodward or uh, Matt Judge, the, the man who handles the, the contacts, or Richard Arnold, etc. That's, that's, that's one and another reason. So it's either that they don't want to, or the fact that it's not the academy and the women's team aren't managed by the same people as the first team. And either of those reasons spells trouble for the Manchester United board.
1: Yeah, the success of the academy and more so the women's team shows you just how incompetent, I think is probably the right word, our board has been in terms of dealing with our with the first team for the last few years because all right, I'm not I'm not saying it's it's not the same, obviously the pressures and the competition is very very different at youth level and in the women and and for the women's team especially being in in the second division and not in the women's super league. Having said that though, at least the women's team and the youth teams are being run very well, they're being coached very well and they are actually living up to the potential that they have. You know, I'm not an expert on women's football but from what I know, based on the players that we had in our squad, we should have been fighting for the title in the, in the second division of, of the women's game and, and we were and we ended up winning it. Based on the talent that we have in our youth academies, we should have been doing better, better than we have been in the last few years and this year we started to kind of hit those heights. And so, regardless of the fact that you know there are clearly very different pressures and very different expectations on running the first team as opposed to running the youth teams and the women's team at the the very bare minimum that you should be demanding and expected as as someone on the board is to at least make sure that your team is playing up to to their potential you know and that hasn't happened for the first team in a long long time the the only time really that we've performed up to our, our sort of level it was probably last season when we finished second and we were so, still so far behind City and the, the football was dire though which was kind of the, the opposite end of that but even this season we have massively massively underperformed where this squad is and it's now on, unfortunately down to that same board which we've been saying every single summer for however many years now it's up to the board to change that and make sure they get the signings that we need but Do you have any confidence in the board? Because I don't. Because every single year, ever since we've been doing this podcast, this is what, our fourth season now? Every single year it's the same shit that we have to say every single May and June. Now it's up to the board to get the players that the manager wants. Now it's up to the board to to stop spending ridiculous amounts of money on players that are too old and past their best. It's up to the board to make sure that they're creating a philosophy, they're changing the culture, and they just aren't doing it every single year. And so, realistically... Solskjaer is saying all the right things in the press about building for the long term, not spending on players that are already proven and past their best. You know, focusing more on buying players that we can develop at at the club. But why do I have any reason to believe that that's actually going to happen? Because the board for the last four or five years have proven that they just don't care, and they'd rather bring in players that are marketing gold, can sell T-shirts all over the world, and realistically, as what happens on the pitch isn't isn't too much of a bother for them
0: well I mean we're being run by an investment banker and, and debt ridden American owners they're both calling the shots and there's so many examples of, of the board's complete ineptitude and 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 the big thing the, the biggest frustration um, is that it just it just always appears as if they they don't really want United to succeed it's not that they don't want United to succeed because that is has some importance to to, to the money but you look at what they're doing, and, and it's it's either to do with egos, and I'm not convinced. I pre- previously I, I thought that's the case, but you listen to journalists who have regular communication with with people like Ed Woodward and, and the others involved in the board, and they they always say similar things about the fact that they're all actually quite nice people, and so I'm not convinced it's it's about egos. And yes, it yes, it almost it, it could be, and I've definitely thought that before. But it's also, they don't really care and that they, they're not that focused on, on winning Manchester United trophies. And you, you see it. But I think the, the, the most notable example is when United appointed uh, Xavi Robolta. Um, I can't remember which, I think he came from Juventus, um, to have some kind of role as, as, a, as a technical, not a technical director, but in a, in a role where he was advising and, and working on transfers and, and scouting and overseeing the scouting system. He left to join Zenit St. Petersburg, and there's a reason that big names won't be appointed as United's technical directors because big names wouldn't want this job and United wouldn't want them to come in because they'd disrupt the, the structure of the board. They'd, they'd rock the boat. It's just, the, the whole thing is lip service. It's like appointing Darren Fletcher as technical director. I love Darren Fletcher. Um, he's got the right attitude. He, he was a fantastic player. He's done so much for United and seems like a, a, very, a very nice man. But there's a reason no one else is going for Darren Fletcher. It's, it's complete lip service um, and it's not going to change
1: it, it's almost as if the board saw how how well the fans received Solskjaer being appointed as manager and how well they they took a club legend being around around the club now and thought well we should just keep doing that for every single position that we currently have available I mean wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see Ryan Giggs lining up at left mid next season the way it's going at the moment it's just ridiculous and it's, it's a nice segue into just talking more generally about the sentimentality that is sort of pervading the club at the moment. And that, yes, it's important to make sure that we are keeping the traditions of the club and we're keeping club legends close to us. You know, I there's been a lot of people complaining about the kit for next season because it's a, a, a tribute to the treble winning season of 99 and how it seems ridiculous to have that when we're not even in the Champions League this season. And to be honest with you, I, I completely disagree. I, I think it's a it's a great touch. I don't care what the team's doing now. The 20 years since the treble should be, should be marked. So that is a great that is a, it is a great way of, of you know, making of keeping keeping the traditions and the history of the club club. The only clubs. thing I'll say
0: about that is that it's it's funny that they've <laughs> they've made the treble anniversary shirt in the twenty first anniversary of the, the treble winning season.
1: Yeah. It's just like I'm, I'm, yeah, what i know. Are you doing? <laughs> I did I do think that as well. It's, I mean I know it's, it's currently it's the Treble as if anniversary. They, they, forgot yeah, last it, year. they must
0: have they must have released the kit last year and just gone, Oh shit, we've missed the We've missed a chance. Yeah. It. Oh, I will just do it next year. People will still buy it. And it's true, I'll probably buy it because it's the first nice kit United have had for, for a long time. But anyway, carry yeah, on with a really more nice serious kit. point. And
1: I, and, I, and I think it is important that we are, even in the wrong year, remembering you know those kind of big events. But at the same time, we aren't in 1999 anymore. We aren't in 2008 anymore. We aren't in 2013 anymore. You know, We have to be moving with the times. We aren't and good anymore. Yeah, yeah. And we have to accept that just trying to to go back to what we were in in the you know in the 2000s or the 1990s isn't going to work. We can't just keep hanging on to what we were in the past. Yes, that's important, and we have to you know make sure that we we keep some of that same spirit. But we also have to be moving with the times and making sure that we're doing what is best for the club in, in at this in this moment. And at this moment, is having Darren Fletcher as technical director and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager, is that the best way forward for our club? Probably not. We're probably better better served going with people that are more experienced. And like you said, the fact that no other club has gone for either of those two speaks volumes about how how little experience and pro- realistically how poorly qualified they are for the job. I love Darren Fletcher. I'd love for him to be around the club, but but not in a, not in a role that's going to define who is playing for our club in the, for the next few seasons because he has absolutely no experience doing it.
0: The problem that's not going to be his role as well. The point is United it's all about appeasing the fans. And sometimes it looks as if Woodward is sending briefs into the into the media, into the press, to, to gauge fan reaction on something before going ahead with it. And this is the... Uh, we don't know that's true, but it does appear that way. It's, oh, well, um, all the United fans are calling for Solskjaer to be appointed permanently and suddenly they change their mind about when they're going to make the manager. Um, then it says United are going to appoint a technical director. All the fans like that. Well, we're going to do that. We're just not going to do it in the in the way they actually want, it's all gonna be for a show and United like having the club DNA. But the United DNA is how oh, this club has been run in the past, forgetting the fact that the United DNA is a complete bollocks phrase. But so Matt Busby played for, for Liverpool, he captained Liverpool and City before he became manager of United. Ferguson had had never stepped foot inside Old Trafford before he became United's most successful manager and, and the greatest manager in football history. You you hire the right people, not just club legends and I do get the fact that United want to surround themselves with, with football people who have who have played for United and understand the club. It works at some other clubs. It works at Bayern Munich, at Ajax, at Barcelona sometimes. But you've got to get the right people. And, and, and the reason it works often at those clubs is because they take a role and they're allowed to work in a stable club and improve as they go. Now, that's never happened at United. And to be fair to Ed Woodward, he also came in at a time which was completely, massively unstable. And there's no way you can you can learn on the job as well as you may do in, in a stable club that's not necessarily winning things, but at a base level.
1: I, I think Bayern, Bayern is a great example of that. Look at, all right, sure, they go through coaches very quickly, but look at how, how much stability there is around it. You've got Karl-Heinz Rummenigge as the, as the chairman, who is one of the, the best chairmen probably in, in Europe at the moment, understands the needs of both the fans and the club. And so yes, they've been changing their manager a lot, and you know they are trying to stick to to their their sort of club DNA, if that's what you want to call it. Even though I, I hate that phrase, but the manager is able to do that because there is so much stability going on ev- around them, and all, they are just coming in as a manager. It's not a manager who has to demand changes to the structure of the club everywhere. The other thing I would say about you know this whole thing of trying to recapture the club's DNA: How do you think that club DNA was made in the first place? It's because you create something new. There's a reason why the Ferguson era is celebrated so so much, and it's because it created something that we had never seen since Sir Matt Busby, th- th- and that doesn't that doesn't come from just trying to recreate what we had on, under Sir Matt Busby. It came from creating something that was new. And yeah, all right, there might be there might be some things that that stayed the, stayed the same or similar, particularly the, you know the focus on on the youth team. But at the end of the day, a club DNA and the club spirit is created in the in the present. It's not it's not created by harping back to what happened 20 or 30 years ago and the quicker that the board realize that the sooner we can stop worrying so much about sentimentality within the club because yes it's important but it has a very select place and it should just be kept to you know celebrating past victories doing things like the like the the charity match for the, the for the treble winners in in a couple of weeks time you know that is that's where sentimentality belongs it doesn't belong in you know, the the heads of the the people making the biggest decisions about the future of this football club.
0: Yeah. Um I just wanted to talk about what has actually made things, because things have certainly become harder. It's become harder to run Manchester United over the last five or ten years and not just because Salah Ferguson has left the club. And... I think because the financial
1: yeah, all you have to do is look is look at the competition.
0: Yeah, that's the main point. Is that the rise in broadcast revenues has absolutely fucked United. Other Premier League teams can can charge more. Is is the first point, but that's the same for everyone. But also, they can buy more to keep up with United despite our higher revenue. Because once you get a certain, once you get to a certain point of revenue, there's there's not that much more. In addition, when Everton can sign Richarlison for fifty million, when Brighton can spend almost a hundred million pounds on on players, that's when United are fucked. Um, and the financial progress at United has has allowed the kind of complacency to set in, which probably started six or seven years ago under Ferguson, and then that has now. Transformed into just complete and utter incompetence. And the other point is, to me, to
1: me, it started there's, there's as soon as we sold no Ronaldo, in, and we never properly replaced him yeah. other than buying a, well, an started, Antonio Valencia.
0: When it actually started is when the Glazers took over United, because there's well, no yeah. point in having higher revenue if the owners are going to bank the 200 million that you, the 200 million extra you make compared to every other Premier League team anyway. So United do yeah. spend a lot of money, but the separate point is that they they haven't spent it very well. But United could be just. Completely obliterating everyone else's spend if they if they really wanted to, but instead the owners take it out of the club.
1: And I, I for me, I think that the main thing about United being harder to run and harder to, to succeed at United is is about the competition around them. You know, it, we have to acknowledge that Ferguson, in his whole what twenty was it twenty seven twenty eight years in charge, never ever had to face a top six like this. You know, don't get me wrong. He faced some absolutely brilliant teams. You think of the the, the Newcastle teams of the late '90s, the Blackburn team of of '95. You think of uh, you know the the Invincibles, obviously one of the best teams in Premier League history. Mourinho's Chelsea getting the formerly you know highest points total. Then the rise of City in the in the early um, 2010s. You know, he faced some great teams, but very very rarely did he ever face more than than one of those great teams at the same time. The only time really he faced that was maybe towards the end of of the Invincibles' era and the start of Mourinho's Chelsea. But even then, they weren't at the peak of their powers at the same time. Now, you look at the top six of the Premier League and all right, the top two this year went far and far away from from the rest. But there is quality all over that top six now. And realistically, going into a season, all top six sides, obviously to different extents, but have some some shout of, of potentially thinking about mounting a title charge and you look at you look at the state of the, of the premier league this season with both city and liverpool setting ridiculous points totals i mean that that sort of competition makes it extremely extremely hard to succeed and and it you know we should acknowledge that before before slating woodward and and the board quite as much as we do but having said that that does not give the board and ed woodward an, an excuse to not improve at all and we just have not improved in the last five or six years and that to me is the worst thing about it if, if we had been improving every single season and still not quite got over the line in the last couple of years when it would have taken record points totals to win both years, all right, fair enough. You know, if we were improving every year and making strides, I could accept that. But we aren't. If anything, we've gone backwards in the last couple of years because the two slightly positive seasons that we had, one under Van Gaal when we did manage to get back into, into the Champions League and one under Mourinho when we finished second last year, have been followed by, frankly, disastrous seasons that have ended with manager turnover and the club searching for its identity again and just being in an even worse position than we were the year before.
0: We should move on to talk about transfers. Um, the, the final point is the the one hope I have about the situation at the very top of Manchester United is that there are so many examples for which they can follow now. Um, so many good examples of how to rebuild a club, a, uh, a fallen giant, if you like. Um, Liverpool is the most recent one you also have very. there's so many models of, of club management that the United board can look at and think okay we're going to follow that whether they will whether they will carry it out successfully I don't have that much confidence but at least there is those those models of Ajax of Bayern but also of Liverpool of City of, of whoever to look at and think exactly there's so many opportunities for them to look at something and go we're going to follow that And if they do that, if they make a plan, which I don't think they have done for the last five years, which is uh, the most frustrating thing, then there's a possibility that United will win a title in the next 10 years, something we will talk about um, near the end of the the episode. Right, uh, an unintended break in the uh, Manchester United season uh, review um, from the Manchester United weekly podcast. We'll cut it in half here, um, since we've spent so long talking about the board, the manager and, and various other things. And in the second part of the season review, we'll talk transfers. The current state of United's team, um, various players, various rumours, who we should sign. We'll answer a few questions from uh, Josh, Stuart, Colin, and a few others. We'll also talk about the awards the worst game, best game, best player, um, and goal of the season, etc. And give you a roundup of the academy, the under 18s, under 23 season, the women's season, and the lone players' season. And we'll also give our predictions for next season. So make sure you listen to that um, for the second part of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast Season Review.